few years ago, I was walking through a small town. Uh, uh, they were having a fall festival and the changing of the colors. And walking through town, lots of crowds were coming into that town. And as we're walking through town, we also noticed that a lot of the neighbors in the town, a lot of the townsfolk had decided to have yard sales because of all the crowds coming into their small town. And so often you would walk down the streets and walk down the sidewalk and out in people's front yards were yard sales as well to, in addition to the fall festival activities going on. And so I was walking down the street by myself at this point in time and walked by a yard sale and out in the yard sale was an old vintage Triumph motorcycle. And I looked at that and it was for sale and I looked at it and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be able to restore this old vintage motorcycle back to its original glory, you know, to do, so, do a restoration project. And so I began to daydream about what it would be like to restore it and get my motorcycle license and ride around the countryside in the fall colors on this motor, vintage motorcycle. And wouldn't that be so cool? And I began to daydream about it, began to think about how much we had in our savings account at the time and started to make a mental list of the repairs and the seat reupholstering and the painting of the gas tank and all the things that needed to be done to restore this motorcycle back to its original uh, form. And so I was thinking about this restoration project, and so I had this whole dream in my mind, and I, so I went off to tell my wife, who was in another part of the fall festival, and so I went over to her, and I started to tell her about this dream of restoring this motorcycle, this vintage motorcycle. And uh, my wife, Heather, she just kind of looked at me, that sideways look, you know, in her head, and she raised her eyebrow, and she says, are we really, you know, she didn't really say anything, it was just that look that said, are we really going down this road again? right? And so uh, to this day, uh, we don't have that motorcycle, but you can tell I'm still dreaming about it. Because my wife know, my wife is a wise person, and she knows that I uh, would just have taken that motorcycle, sat in the garage or the shed, and it would have been a project that would have gone uncompleted for some time. It was also at the time when we had two small children, and so she was like, hey, we, we got two small kids. We don't have time for a motorcycle restoration project. So I think about that uh, idea that oftentimes we procrastinate these restoration projects. Maybe you've got some of your own projects in your home today uh, that have gone unfinished, you know, that you've wanted to restore that project. And here's a project that maybe we're all overlooking and that we're all neglecting and we've all been procrastinating, and that's the restoration of our souls. We've been in this series called Replenish, and today we're talking about the restoration or the refilling the replenishment of our souls today and what that looks like. What does it look like to replenish our souls? Do you know that God wants to restore your soul today? I hope you know that. In fact, Psalm 23 is called the shepherd's psalm, and the psalmist talks about God being the shepherd. And it says in the first few verses, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. God is the one who restores our soul. God is the one who wants to restore our souls. And it's a restoration project that God wants to no longer be procrastinated. So here's the thing. God wants to restore our souls, but we have to come to the point, you and I have to come to this place where we realize that God is the one who does the restoration. God is the one who does the replenishment. We can't do that on our own. We actually have to bring our souls to God and leave them in the hands of the Good Shepherd and allow God to restore us. 
And so that's part of what we need to do. So we actually have to admit, the first step towards the restoration project is to admit that we need to get in the garage. We need to get the work done. We need to bring uh, our souls that have maybe have been neglected for too long and bring them before God. I keep stumbling across a quote from Andrew Murray. It, it keeps coming up, and so uh, I'm going to share it with you this morning. It says that, he said this, It is the displacement of the self by the enthronement of God. When God is all and self is nothing, right? God is all, self is nothing. And so this is the beginning of restoration for us, that we have to actually admit that we're, we're, we have no control here, that we can't do it on our own, that we actually have to dethrone ourselves and all our self-help efforts and enthrone God in our hearts, our minds, in our souls, and give God our souls, and let God do the restoration process. It's kind of the same way that we'd have to bring a, a, a vintage motorcycle into a garage or into a shop where people knew how to restore it and restore it back to its best and its, good, and its goodness, right? It's the same. God knows us. God knows what we need to restore us. So today we're actually going to look at a passage of Scripture. Psalm 23 is a great reminder, but we're actually going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about Jesus being the Good Shepherd. And so these actually probably are connected, Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrew Scriptures and Greek Scriptures are connected here. And what we're going to read today is a description of Jesus being the Good Shepherd who leads the sheep. And then we're going to take a look at how this relationship to the Good Shepherd actually helps the sheep. So we're going to read uh, John chapter 10. I'm going to read about 16 verses here with you. Welcome to follow along on your screens or open up your own Bibles. We're in John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says this, I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs over the wall is a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he has gathered all of his sheep, he goes before them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but will run away because they don't know the stranger's voice. Those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't heard Jesus use this analogy, didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus spoke again. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they, may, they could have life indeed, so they could have life to the fullest. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, when he, the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He only, he's only a hired hand and the sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to the sheep pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And so this is a great passage. Notice the repetition of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is actually identifying himself with God, the good shepherd that we read about in Psalm 23. 
So these two things are being connected as well. This idea, this imagery, this analogy of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit being the good shepherd in our lives, leading us, the sheep. And so this imagery is played out all through the scriptures and, and it revealed in the scriptures. Uh, and the one thing we know about the good shepherd, is that what is the goodness of the shepherd, is that this shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And that's what we find in Jesus being willing to lay down his life for us, his people, his followers. And so this is a, 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 an example of the goodness of the shepherd versus a hired hand. Now, when we're looking at restoration, so if we're the sheep, God is the shepherd, here's, here's how this looks. One of the things we have to come to the conclusion is do we believe in the goodness of the shepherd, right? So this belief in the goodness of the shepherd is actually important to the restoration of our souls, because we won't bring our souls to God if we don't think God is good, right? If we don't think, believe in the goodness of God, we're, we likely won't be willing to bring our souls before God, the one who fully knows us and fully loves us. So we have to think about this, right? Now, I think some of the reasons we don't think that God is good is because we have a view of God that is kind of like Amazon, you know, Amazon, the delivery service, you know how you go online, and we've learned how to use Amazon, especially this past year. Uh, we've learned to rely on Amazon and use Amazon, and it's great because you go online, you put in your order, and you click a button, and then you wait 24 hours for a package to arrive on your doorstep. It's really a great process, and it's amazing that this can happen. You can order whatever's on Amazon, and it'll be delivered within 24 hours, sometimes longer, but delivered to your doorstep. And I think about this. Amazon, we have a transactional relationship with Amazon, right? We, we tell Amazon we want. We pay Amazon to get that package delivered to us, and we get upset if that package doesn't arrive in the condition that we expected or the time frame that we expected, right? If we view God like that, that, you know, that, hey, I got, I put in an order. I put, did you not hear my prayer request? I put in an order for this outcome in my life, for this package to arrive in my life, and here it is 24 hours later, and still no answer or no package, and where is it? I'm trying to track down when you're going to answer my prayer. Again, when we're viewing God this way, we're viewing God in a transactional way or a utilitarian way, right? And notice that who's in control of that situation, right? Who's on the throne? <laughs> who's in charge? We're saying, God, I want you to deliver the package in this time frame, and I want you to give me what I ordered. And so we equate the goodness of God with that transactional relationship. Yet, even worse, what happens when God not doesn't send a package, but it's not the package we ordered, right? It's not the prayer request we put in, and we get the package that comes to us is a is a diagnosis of cancer or a problem at work or a crisis at work or a crisis in our family or family situation or brokenness in our relationships with our family members or our friends or neighbors, or there's a a message of brokenness in our society, and so we look at these and we say, "See, God's not good." The issue is not the goodness of God. The issue is how we're viewing God as a transactional, utilitarian God, like Amazon. We view God like Amazon. And so that's not who God is. God is not a transactional God. God is a, God, a good God, and God is relational. 
meaning that regardless of the circumstances of our lives or whether we're following God or turning to God or listening to God's voice, that God is still for us and with us regardless. That's relation. God stays in relationship with us despite the circumstances around us. And even though the the things don't come to us the way we want or the prayers don't get answered the way we want, it is not because God is not good. The word here in Greek is kalos, which means beautiful or winsome or attractive. So when God, when it says, I am the good shepherd, saying that, that, that you're going to naturally be drawn to the goodness of God. And I think that if you and I were to sit here for just a second and examine what really is attractive to the soul, not to the eye, not to the heart, not to the mind, but to the soul, it is the goodness of God to be fully known by God and fully loved by God, regardless of the circumstances of our lives, that that brings replenishment and healing and wholeness to the soul. And that's, the, that's what our souls are longing for, right? And if you really take a second and just get in touch with the soul, your soul right now, what is your soul drawn to? Is it not the goodness of God? Is it not the beauty of God? Is it not truth and beauty and goodness and those things that are pleasant in our lives to the soul, right? So think about that, about the goodness of God not being caught up or tied up with the circumstances of our God being a transactional God. And that's what, when the Israelites were roaming the earth in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, they, that's what were the other gods on the hills. The idols were transactional gods, whereas the God of Israel was a God of relationship and a God who stayed faithful right? So here's some things. So we get, first, we have to believe in the goodness of God, right? In the goodness of the, of the shepherd Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The other thing, notice that what the sheep are in relationship. When they, when they know this good shepherd, notice what happens, that they know his voice. The sheep know his voice. And in the um, Palestinian uh, shepherding uh, business, so to speak, that in Palestine, shepherds were, were working with sheep for the whole life of the sheep, because they raised sheep uh, for the wool that the sheep provided to make clothing for their families and for all the families around them. And so what they were herding sheep and raising sheep to do was to provide wool. They were not raising sheep for food, although that may have come into the equation at the end of a sheep's life. But So the shepherds were in a long-term relationship with a sheep, whereas a shepherd who was just raising sheep to, uh, be, uh, to go to be eaten would not have a long relationship. They would have a very short-term relationship with the sheep. But the shepherds of Palestine had a long-term relationship with the sheep, the whole life of the sheep. The other thing about it is they didn't use sheep dogs uh, to herd the sheep. Oftentimes we see in other countries, in England and, and even here in the United States, sheep will be herded using dogs. Palestinian shepherds did not use dogs to herd their sheep. They used their voice to herd the sheep. And this is key because what happened, and because you're in a long-term relationship with the sheep as a shepherd, the sheep begin to learn and know the voice of the shepherd among all other shepherds. And this was, uh, so a shepherd's voice was distinct to the sheep, and they discerned and knew that voice over all the other voices around them, even the voice of another shepherd calling to them. Also, shepherds might use a pan flute to call their sheep, or a whistle, or a click of the tongue to call their sheep to them and to get them to follow him versus following another shepherd or wandering off into the wilderness, which sheep were prone to do. And so this is that idea. Now, also, it's interesting to note that they were providing wool, right? They, they were doing that. What, is, what did God do when 
Adam and Eve sinned and they broke and they left the Garden of Eden, they felt shame, they felt nakedness. And what did God do? Even though if it had been a contractional relationship, right, or a transactional relationship between God and Adam and Eve, he would have said, okay, you broke the contract, you're done, we're over with, right? Forget it. But that's not what God does. When he sees their, their shame and their nakedness, he provides clothing for them, right? He provides clothing like the sheep provide clothing for people, right? And that is, a, that is a glimpse of the goodness of the shepherd God that is talked about in the scriptures. So that's happening. So we need discernment, right? As people, if we're going to restore our souls, if we're going to bring our souls into the garage of God's goodness, then we're going to have to not only believe in the goodness of God, but we're also going to have to discern God's voice from other voices. And that takes, sometimes it takes a whole life, doesn't it, for some of us to get this. But this idea of discernment is really the ability to know God's voice. When we practice discernment, Ruth Barton discusses it in her book called Sacred Rhythms, and she says this. I, when she's talking about discernment here. I am indifferent to anything but God's will. This is a state of wide openness to God in which I am free from undue attachment to any particular outcome. You hear that? Undue attachment to any particular outcome. And I am capable of relinquishing whatever might keep me from choosing love. I love that because it's not a, notice that discernment and being open to God and receiving God's love for us and loving others is not circumstantial. It's not external. It's not based on the outcomes around us. It's about the health of our soul. And discernment helps us to hear that voice of God saying to us, I fully know you and I fully love you despite everything else in your life right now. To hear that voice more clearly than any other voice in our lives is part of the restoration of our souls and to stay in tune with that voice of God, right? So that's discernment. Discernment is practicing the art of being indifferent to the other voices, to be basically having selective attention to God's voice, right? And to drown out the other voices and to hear only the shepherd's voice, the good shepherd's voice. The other thing that's happening to the sheep as they follow this good shepherd, we see this in Psalm 23, and uh, we see this here, uh, the good shepherd in Jesus, is that they live life to the fullest, right? Live life to the fullest. Now, let's talk about what this doesn't mean, because I think a lot of times we misinterpret this as more stuff, right? More things, more toys that will bring us pleasure and, and we think will help us, right? And so what we do, we fill our external lives up rather than filling our souls up with this good source of the good shepherd, which is the presence of God, the love of God. So what we end up doing is we fill our lives up with other things. We fill our lives up with toys and experiences and things, and we look to those material things to actually fill us, and then they leave us feeling empty. And that's because we've equated fullness, wholeness, full life with stuff, right? With prosperity, so to speak, rather than fullness and wholeness of the soul, which is what Jesus is actually talking about. A whole, W-H-O-L-E, a whole soul, a whole full life that includes body, mind, soul, all of that together, encapsulated together, and the healthy together. And this is impacted by the health of the soul as well. So this is actually what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the, the fullness of our souls, not the fullness of our life or the fullness of our calendar or the fullness of our garages or our experiences. 
Jesus is talking about the fullness of soul here. And that God is the one who will fill us and refill us time and time again whether, whenever we need that refilling, right? And so the other thing is, is that this is not a future reality, right? Again, the reason we may be neglecting the restoration of our souls, the replenishment of our souls, is because we think, oh, that'll happen someday in the future when I have time. I'm too busy right now. I've got too many things going on in my life. I'll put that off, right? But that restoration can actually happen now. We don't have to put that off till some future date. The restoration is in the present. The wholeness and the fullness is in the present, not in the future. And notice that when we read Psalm 23, that the shepherd's leading is to two different places, green pastures and still waters, right? That the shepherd leads to feed, right? The shepherd will guide, the good shepherd will guide as the sheep listen to the good shepherd's voice and listen and follow the leadership of the good shepherd. They will go to a green pasture or to a still water that will replenish them and restore them, right? And so that's what's the same imagery here, that as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd, as we listen to God and we let God lead us, what happens is we find the green pasture and we find the still waters that restores our soul. So I want to kind of give you an example of how this works. And using uh, the Psalm 23 to guide us in this. So here's how this works, and maybe it'll give you some permission, because each of us are different, and each of us experience God in different ways, and so our, we, we just want to be restored, right? We just want our souls to be whole, and we know that our connection and our relationship with God will enable that to happen. So we practice things to help restore us. And so we may worship, uh, we may sing worship music, we may pray, we may study the Bible, we'll experience, maybe go practice solitude or silence or art or poetry or music or be in nature or take a Sabbath rest. All those practices are things that may restore our souls, but we're all different. So different things will restore different people. So a lot of times we'll, preachers and pastors and teachers will tell you this is the thing that will restore your soul, but it's really just the thing that will restore their soul, not necessarily everyone else's. And so we have to keep that in mind. So here's an illustration to kind of help you get your mind around that. So the question is, what replenishes your soul? That's a question to ask. What replenishes your soul? And then if you look at these two arrows, you've got an arrow going horizontal from left to right that is effort. That's how much effort or work we have to put into that practice, whatever that spiritual practice is, to, to, to be replenished. And then the vertical arrow is the one that talks about replenishment. So that's how full and healthy and whole our souls become as we practice those things. So the effort of practice and how that relates to the replenishment or restoration we experience. So if you look at the left quadrant, the left top quadrant on the, on the left-hand side, it's labeled green pasture. This is the easy stuff, right? This is the stuff that doesn't take us a lot of effort, but when we practice it, we get restoration. We feel our souls filling up again with the presence of God. Maybe it's a hike in nature. Maybe it's a solitude. Maybe it's studying your Bible, and as you study God's Word, you you get glimpses of God that refreshes your soul. And so these are different examples. It could be whatever, what is it for you that doesn't take a lot of effort for you, but certainly restores your soul. You feel the goodness of God welling up in you. And so the love of God welling up in you. So that's your green, that's your green pasture, our green pasture. Now, if you move to the top right quadrant, this is still water. Because oftentimes the sheep, the shepherd would have to lead the sheep through valleys and over rocky terrain to get them to a place of still water. Like rather than rushing water that would scare the sheep, the shepherd would have to take them on a journey, take them a little bit farther, and took more effort 
to find, especially in the Palestinian desert or high mountain desert, to find that still water. So it took more effort. And again, you and I, there are some practices that are going to take a lot more effort, but they still replenish us. They still restore our souls. And that effort makes it worth it to continue to do those practices that may take a little bit of work, may take a little bit more of us doing some things to get to that still water. So those are the top quadrants, right? That's our green pasture and that's our still water. It may take a little effort, a lot of effort, but if it's restoring our souls, if it's replenishing us and God's goodness and love for us, then we, we keep doing those things, right? Now, here's where maybe this will help give you some permission to let go of things. So if you look at the bottom right quadrant, this is the place where it takes a lot of effort and we're not replenished. We're not restored as that we practice that, right? So maybe you're, there's a practice that just doesn't connect you to God very well. That's because of your personality and because of who God created you to be. And here's, maybe this will help you. Stop wandering here. <laughs> Stop wandering off into this place and doing all this work and taking all this effort into something that doesn't restore your soul. Maybe it's time to just let it go and let God lead you to the green pastures and the still waters. Listen to the voice of the shepherd speaking to you and what restores you, because that will help you and see God's goodness and experience God's love in your life. And then the last quadrant over here in the left corner is the distraction. It doesn't take much effort, and you really doesn't restore your soul at all. And this is the distraction, right? Our phones, our cell phones are a great example of this, right? We, we have easy access. Some doesn't take, you know, we hear the ding or the bing on our phone. We look at our phone. We scroll. We swipe. We hit a video, whatever. And so it's a distraction, right? It's very low effort, and it very often does nothing to restore our soul or help our soul, right? And that's the distraction, right? That's the place we really have to start to let go of. And those are the voices we need to let go of, right? And discern away from to listen to the good voice of the good shepherd that will lead us to the green pastures and the still water, right? To restore our souls rather than all the distractions that take away from our souls. And so those things we have to just neglect, ignore, as Ruth Barton said, become indifferent to, and we have to also give ourselves permission to stop wandering off into valleys that we don't, don't find the green pasture and still water in. So we have to trust the good shepherd to lead us in these efforts and into these practices that restore us. You know, because God wants to restore our souls. You know, Heather and I were walking, hiking up to Grinnell Glacier and Glacier National Park. We were hiking up to Grinnell Glacier. It's a 12-mile round trip up to the glacier and back, and we were on our way back down uh, from the glacier, and we were tired. It was later afternoon. It was a long day. Uh, we were thirsty. We were hungry. We were making our way down, but on the way up, we remembered there was a waterfall coming off of a rock, and you actually had to walk under the waterfall uh, on the trail to get up the, to the glacier, and so we were coming back down, and we could see this waterfall coming off the side of the rock uh, onto the trail. And so we stopped there to get to the water and I, we got some water and then I got out my water filter and I was filtering the water because I wasn't sure about the source of the water. And so I was filtering it to make sure it was good and healthy, good water. And along came a park ranger, a veteran park ranger and his wife were hiking back down behind us and they came up, they opened up their water, balls, water bottles and they held it right under the waterfall and began drinking straight out of the waterfall. And I was like, oh, I didn't know we could do that, right? You know, and so I asked the ranger, I said, is it safe to, I guess it's safe to drink the water. And he saw me working hard and pumping hard to filter it, right, to get the good stuff. And uh, he said, well, officially, I'm supposed to tell you that you need to 
uh, you know, treat your water before you drink it. But he says, I've been doing this for years. I know the source. It is coming straight off the glacier. There is no con- there's probably no contaminants in this water. And it's good water. And he just kept drinking away. His wife kept drinking away. And so we reached in and took a drink too. Here's the thing. He knew the source. He knew the source could be trusted. He knew the goodness of the source of that water. God is the good source for our souls. We don't need to do all this effort and work to kind of filter it out ourselves. It's just about going to the good source of God's love and goodness for us and receiving it and drinking it in and letting it refresh us and replenish us. Let's pray together.